First John. Book of First John tonight. And we're going to begin this evening in First John. We're probably going to look five or six or seven or eight or we'll see. Uh, how many weeks together in First John? We're also going to continue then to Second John and Third, of course, much smaller books. But tonight we're just going to look at the first chapter, the first chapter of First John. And our theme tonight is God's remedy for the disease of sin. Every one of us knows someone, most likely, who has some incurable disease. I heard just this week of a man that I got to meet as a young teenager, a faithful Christian, faithful minister of the gospel for many years, who closed his eyes in death because that disease that had his life, which had no cure, ran his course. But I praise God tonight that there is a remedy there is a cure. Uh, there is an answer, and God does have an answer uh, for sin. And we find it here tonight in this passage. I want you to follow along with me as I read this passage. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things... Write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lastly, in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask you to help me tonight. Lord, help me to teach you right, your truth. Lord, some powerful truth we have here in this passage. And Lord, as we think about sin, and Lord, it is a disease, a brokenness, a sickness on this world. Lord, I'm sure glad that there's a cure. I'm sure glad that sin is, does not leave us hopeless. But, Lord, we have the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, we have a hope we can share with the lost world. And Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight, Lord, as we endeavor to, to point and lift up Christ. Lord, bless us now. Help us. Help me. In your precious name we pray. Amen. First John is, there are three different letters written, penned by John, of course, we understand tonight that these letters are not the thoughts of John that John sent out. Rather, they are God's Word given to John to pen. These three distinct letters that we're going to look at over the next probably three months, as we begin with the first one here tonight in 1 John, are in 1 John not a not a doctrinal thesis, if you will. There's doctrine here, but uh, the letter, the, the truth here is not uh, just doctrine after doctrine, but upon doctrine. Uh, rather, 
we see it here as God gave to John to send a, a personal letter uh, full of important truth. And, and we're going to see some of the themes. And tonight that theme is God's remedy or God's cure. How many of you know what castor oil is? Praise the Lord, Brother Jim. I grew up after the era of castor oil. But I heard my mom and I've heard my dad tell stories about any time they were sick growing up, no matter what it was. I mean, from a broken arm to an upset stomach to a cold. Uh, their parents, you know, you got to have some castor oil. That's the answer to everything. And uh, I don't think it worked. I think what it really was is it tasted so bad, the kids just never said they were sick. That was probably what happened. It probably worked for that. Uh, but that was the cure. My grandmother had a bottle uh, of methylate. How many of you know what methylate is? That red liquid, praise God. I wish I could buy it today. That's good stuff. Uh, no matter what happened, man, you cut your leg off. My grandma's on, just put some methylate on that. That'll cure it. That's all you need. Just some methylate. Chop your head off. No problem. Put some methylate on there. You'll be okay. That was the cure. Well, tonight we want to look at the cure for the, or the remedy for the malady of sin. And sin is a great problem. It's a problem of all mankind. There are some diseases that have very few people affected by it. That does not lessen uh, the importance of needing a cure. But the reality is a lot of different diseases and things that have no cure, one of the reasons they don't is because there is such a small subset of the population that is affected, a lot of times there's not the funding to create the cure. And that's just a reality of dollars and cents in our world today. But when we think about the cure for sin, it is not a small subset of the population. a matter of fact, it is every person in all population, past and present. It, it is... Every person. And John gives us here some truths. Some simple truths. No, uh, not lots of points tonight. No sub-points. Just, just some statements and some truths here from the Word of God this evening. Uh, some provision God has made. That God has made for you and God has made for me to set us free from the guilt, the pollution, and the power of sin. Number one tonight. We see here in our text in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, God is light and love. God is light and love. He is altogether holy. He is loving. And he has fully declared himself in his Son. I love the, the wording here, the first part of 1 John chapter 1. Because in 1 John chapter 1, it over and over speaks about God has declared. God has shown. Can I tell you what it's, not what, but who it's speaking about? It's speaking about Jesus Christ. John is saying, hey, the Lord showed himself to us in his Christ. And we have that picture over and over again here in this passage. Hold your place here and turn to John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to, we'll get over here to these passages a bit later in a few weeks. But look in verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now we see in the beginning of chapter 1 that God is love. We have a reminder here. God is light. God is love. In verse 16 there as well in chapter 4. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Notice again, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. If we turn back to our text in 1 John 1 and verse 5, it says, This then is the message which you have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Light is the picture of the splendor of God. His omniscience, his holiness, uh, his absolute purity. Uh, we can look at uh, Leviticus. We won't take time tonight, but you can look in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 20, as it speaks about the holiness of God. And can I tell you the holiness of God in Leviticus, God's holiness has not changed. 
God is just as holy, just as pure, just as lovely, just as much love and light. He is altogether holy. He is altogether loving. Uh, And God has declared or showed himself to you and to me through his son. He's revealed himself. Uh, The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, and I'll read there for you very quickly. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, it tells us there, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus said, fellas, I'm it. I've been telling you. Can't you see it? In other words, Jesus said, when you see me, you're looking at the Father. He is the revealed declared glory of God. The Bible tells us in Romans Romans chapter 3 that we come short of the glory of God, our sin. Now we share that truth when we are sharing the gospel with the folks for folks to understand that we do not measure up to God's standard of holiness. But can I tell you what is? What is God's standard of holiness? Is Jesus Christ. We fall short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The revealed glory of God. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he he received the tablets of stone, and by the way, it wasn't uh, ten things written on a tablet. Uh, As he received all the law, uh, as he came down, uh, he came and had a glow about him. Now that glow was because he was reflecting not his glory, but the glory of God. We see God revealing himself. John tells us back in our text in verses 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Thrust thy hand into my side. Handle me, Jesus said. Handle me. See what I am. How many of you have bought something online and when you received it at your home, it was not what you thought it was? You ever done that? I remember years and years and years ago, 17 years ago probably, I bought a knife through eBay. Remember eBay? You know, back before Amazon? Anyway, uh, I I bought a knife through eBay. Stag-handled, bone-handled, hunting knife. Beautiful knife. I saw it, and the price was cheap, Brother Ahmad. And how many of you have learned if the price is too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. It's not true. And I saw it, and I thought, man, that, that is really nice. And I didn't need it, but I was like, I don't even know how I saw it, but I'm like, I'm going to buy that. And I bought it, and I was excited, and the box came. And when the box came, the box was about this big. And I opened the box, and I thought, what is this? I didn't know what it was because it wasn't the knife I ordered. I knew that. I opened the box, and there was the knife. It's about that long. The handle is about that big, and the blade's about that big. And this little leather sheath, it looked like something made for a hobbit to carry into battle. Uh, just like this, I'm like, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I ordered, but it was. But I had not handled it yet. I had not felt it yet. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to look for a picture of it beside the scale of something else. God doesn't say, hey, you know, just trust that I was here. Rather, God gives us the witness and testimony This is not one crazy man who said, yeah, I saw Jesus. Now, if you you want a 
a picture of that kind of craziness. You have a man who said he put on some stone glasses and carried several thousands of pounds of stone tablets, and uh, he met an angel named Moroni, or maybe it was a moron, and no one else saw it but him. But no, we're not talking about that kind of false perversion, that kind of false religion propagated by, oh, I saw something nobody else saw. I'm special and you're not. Rather, we had person after person after person. There were hundreds of people alive when John penned this letter who saw Jesus Christ, who handled him. And that's what we see here, this picture. Uh, they touched Christ. He who was the word of life appeared to them. Not in some vision that no one else saw, but in person and reality. And praise the Lord, uh, his appearance was with the Father. And we see that, uh, and we won't take time to turn back, but the Gospel of John, I recommend you look and read again the account of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And can I tell you that Word, capital W Word, is Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So we see God is light and love. He's altogether holy. He's altogether loving. And he has fully declared to us himself through his son. Number two, as we think about the remedy for the malady of sin, God longs to bring all men into fellowship with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with one another. I love this. Now, there are many today that would teach that God does not long to bring all into fellowship with him. There are those that would teach that God desires to bring a few people from here and a few people from here and maybe one back there. And he desires them to be reconciled, but not the rest. That God relishes and glories and is waiting because he enjoys consuming those he's decided to go to hell. Can I tell you, rather, the Bible teaches that God longs. The heart of God longs and desires to bring all men into fellowship with himself and to bring us into fellowship one with another. And we see that here in this passage in verse 3. And that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, that wonderful word, uh, fellowship here uh, conveys the thought of uh, sharing, mutual sharing. God gave to John to pen, hey, God wants you to fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with him. In other words, God wants us to fellowship together. That's the desire of God. That's the burden of God. God wants us to fellowship with him. When God created man, God created man because he wanted to share his life with him. God created man to fellowship with him. God didn't create man to put him on earth and watch him. Wonder what he's going to do. No. God wanted a fellowship with man. Man broke that fellowship through sin. God didn't say, okay, I'll make another world. I'll create another creature. I'll make another man. No. What did God do? I want a fellowship with man. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we have God's uh, first discussion or first reminder in the very beginning, the genesis of Scripture of what theologians call the protovangel. The very first mention of God's plan. What's What plan? To bring man back into fellowship with God. Understand that plan. That plan was in existence long before Adam. I said, okay, Eve, I'll disobey God with you. Long before. Why? Because God made man to fellowship with him. God wants to fellowship with us. Notice in verse 3 there that fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. That's vertical. Our fellowship with God but that's not the only fellowship we can have. We can have, even though we're sinners, we can have fellowship one with another. 
and fellowship with God. That's a wonderful truth we find here in Scripture. So as we think about sin, we see that God longs, longs to take man who is a sinner and bring him back into fellowship with him. And part of that fellowship is not just fellowshipping with God, but us fellowshipping one with another as we fellowship with God. Number three tonight, and we know this, this is not new truth, but I want us to build this understanding tonight. We are all sinners by nature and by practice. We're sinners by nature. I was born in sin. You were born in sin. You know, I, I've talked to several folks. I've shared the gospel with them. And, oh, no, I'm not a sinner. Now, I've never said this to them, but I could say, you know what? Even if you never committed a sin in your whole life, as far as you know, you were born a sinner. Why? Well, how, how do you know that? That's what the Bible says. By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. I have the Adamic nature of sin uh, because of my father, Adam. But I praise God for the second Adam. I praise God for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I, I'm a sinner by nature and by practice. Not only am I by nature, but all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, we have a lot of practice at sinning. We're pretty good at it. How many of you have tried to teach a child how to tie a pair of shoes? You ever done that? Have you got, has Chloe learned how to tie shoes yet, Brother Bonnie? Did you teach her or did your wife teach her? Your wife, your wife probably taught her. That's what I thought. Now, when Miss Chris taught her how to tie shoes, did she learn the first day she had it figured out? No problem at all, right? Took a while, right? And she struggled. Brother Ahmad's still trying to learn how. You be praying for him. And she struggled and tried to learn how to tie shoes. And all of you were the same way, except for those of us that grew up during the Velcro era. Praise God for Velcro. <laughs> We were so dumb, God said, they need Velcro. They'll never figure it out. That's why Brother Darren still just wears Velcro. But if I said, hey, close your eyes, untie your shoes, and tie your shoes, most likely, most of us, you could probably do that. Why? You've done it so many times. You don't have to look at tying your shoes. You do it. No problem. That's why when I drive, I don't even need to look at the road. I've driven so much, Mark, I don't have to look at the road. I, I know what I'm doing. We're used to it. Sadly, a lot of us, we have so much practice at sin, we don't even realize we're doing it. We're sinners by nature and by practice. So if that's true, and it is, and we, we laugh about it, we joke about it, but that is true. If it's true that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, if it's true that I was born that way and I added to it by practicing sin, how is it possible that I can have fellowship with a holy God? How is it possible that a holy God would want to have fellowship with me? You see, that's a real problem. That's a real hurdle. Now, this is the hurdle that religion says, aha, have the answer. I know the way that sinful man can have relation with a holy God. It's by bettering themselves. It's by get, becoming more holy. It's by paying for that sin. It's by doing things to please that one that is more holy until finally I meet God halfway and God accepts me. That's religion in the world's eyes. And by the way, that definition of religion is man doing something to appease God, doing something to satisfy God, doing something that makes God happy enough to receive them. Can I tell you that's false religion? That's false religion. But sadly, there are many people who go into a building with Baptist on it that believe the same thing. False religion. So how can I have fellowship with the Holy God? How can he have fellowship with God? Me. Verse 5 and 6 in our text, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him. And declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Let's stop there for a moment. So God is light, not just some light. He's all light. There's no darkness whatsoever. 
Now in the Colt by the Colton, working with our media and with tracks and such, he plays with different colors. And one of the colors in our scheme of our logo and our branding of our church, we have one brother in mod, the title, the name of it, this is the real name, is Persian Plum. What do we call it? Something a mod. I can't remember. We had a, we had another name for it, but it Persian plum is one of the colors. Another color. There's the tan color, and there's a white color, and then there is a color that looks black, but it's not black because black is all black. It's black brought back just a, a little bit. Like a little bit of light, the official color has that little bit of light brought away from full black. God is not just a lot of light. He's all light. And there's no darkness whatsoever. None. The Bible goes on in that next verse to tell us there in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... Now, the picture of darkness here is sin. There's no sin in God. If we walk in darkness, the Bible tells us, we lie and do not the truth. So God is light. We're in darkness. That's a problem. How can those two fellowship? How can darkness have fellowship with light? How can light have fellowship with darkness? In verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 10, again, it gets more uh, poignant here. If we say that we have not sins, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Can I tell you tonight, there is no one in this world that is sinless. No, not your great aunt. Uh, not that old, that wonderful old man. No, nobody. Not your mom, not your dad, not your grandma, your grandpa, not that Tremendous spiritual leader that you worship, none, none save Jesus Christ. And by the way, not only are you not perfect and I'm not perfect, but I never will be here until I see him. I, I, I can never say I'm perfect light and I've never sinned because at that point I would have sinned. <laughs> I, I have sinned. No one's sinless in this life. Experience confirms it. No one's ever lived without sin. Hebrews 7.26, if you want to write that reference down, I encourage you to, to look at it a bit later. As we think about only one living without sin, the rest of us are sinful besides Jesus Christ. 1 Kings 8.46, Ecclesiastes 7.20, Romans 3.20, Romans 3.23. So the question then, and, and it's a real question, and it is the question of the ages. It is the question that has created all these, I'm going to use a phrase here, all these different supposed paths to God. How many of you have ever heard the statement, oh, there's all kinds of different ways to God, all kinds of different paths, they all lead the same place? You heard that? Some of you maybe said it before too, right? But it's not true. Man imagines, okay, well, I can get here this way, and I can get that way, and I can get this way. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So we're sinners by nature and by practice. So how can I have fellowship with a holy God, and how can a holy God have fellowship with me when I am a sinner? Number four, there's only one way. And as I mentioned tonight, you know these truths, but I want us, I want us to see it and think about it as we look at this passage to understand and get a, a broader understanding of truth, there's only one way through the person and work of God's Son who came to earth to shed his blood, to provide salvation for all who put their trust in him. Jesus is the only way. In verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, 
cleanseth us from all sin. By the way, this is why Jesus came. This is the answer. We're told that when we, as we see here, come into the light of God's presence. How do we do that? When we come into the light of God's presence, we see what we are. We see who we are. We see the reality of our sin. We see the, and understand that we are lost and undone and there's nothing we can do. It's not something, okay, i got to clean myself up. i got to make myself better. Rather, I am undone. I am a sinner in the eyes of a holy God. There's nothing I can do. We acknowledge our sin. We realize what he's done. And the wonderful gift of eternal life. We have fellowship one with another. How? Because his blood, his blood shed on Calvary, his death on the cross, his laying in that tomb and raising again, paid the debt to cover my sin, to cover your sin. Colton told me tonight, he printed out the announcements to, to share with you, the same announcements that popped up on the screen tonight. He said on our men's prayer breakfast slide, it said on the slide there, March 13th. Was that right? March 11th. That's what I said, March 11th. And, but he said that when he printed it, it also had September 17th. Now, that was something, an artifact behind the picture that when he printed it off, it shows up. Now, it doesn't show on the slide. But it's in a layer of that slide at some point. That was the day, and it got changed and covered over, and it's there. Now, you can't see it when it's on the screen. But when it was printed, Colton could see it. But I praise God when my sin is covered, God refuses to see it. It's covered. It's done. Understand Jesus Christ provided a way of salvation by the blood, his atoning blood. By the way, it was not just the death of Christ. It was not just the fact Jesus died for you. He did die for you. But it's more than that. There's a reason. I'll go back to the book of Leviticus. There's a reason, and you read it. Uh, Brother Mob was telling me the other day, what did you say about the book of Leviticus? Uh, what's that? Yeah, so Brother Mod says, read Leviticus and realize, yeah, you know, this is what I've done. This is a, you'd have to still be doing this if it wasn't for me over and over. You read through the book of Leviticus, you have this sacrifice and that sacrifice and this and that. and Very particular. It wasn't, hey, come as you want, do what you want. The book of Leviticus said, no, 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 no. It has to be done exactly this way. This sacrifice and that sacrifice and every one of those sacrifices... Very specific because it was picturing an imperfect picture of a perfect sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just fall off a cliff for you. I was talking to Brother Milton the other day, and Brother Milton was telling me, he said, man, it's when I get to heaven. He said, I'm going to ask the Lord to show me a video of that day that they tried to throw Jesus off the cliff. He said, he said, I envision him just walking through the crowd, knocking people out of the way and punching them. And I said, Milton, I didn't envision it that way. I envisioned the Lord just kind of disappeared. Uh, but I like what he thinks better. I hope that's what happened. I want to watch the video, Roundhouse Kicks. And, uh, I just want to see him going through the crowd. Now, had Jesus been thrown off the cliff and died, could he have risen again? Sure. But that wouldn't have been the sacrifice needed. Very particular, the blood was shed. Very particular sacrifice. That's why John said, Behold the Lamb of God, the take of the way the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came. Sin is removed by God. Listen to this statement. Sin is removed by God. This problem of sin is only removed by God on the grounds of the once offered sacrifice. That's it. Our sins are removed on the grounds of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Number five tonight. 
a long point here tonight, but I want to give it to you. When we believe in Christ or come into the light, put our trust in him, simply a matter of believing. As the Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? He was told to believe. To believe. No work. Simply believe. Simply accept and believe the truth. When we believe in Christ, come to the light as the Bible calls it here in 1 John. The barrier of sin is removed. It's removed. We're born into God's family. We receive his life. His life is a new nature. The Bible speaks about which cannot sin. And henceforth, we can no longer habitually commit sin. Now, does that mean when I get saved, man, I can never sin again? There was a a movie years ago about a man who was a liar, and he wasn't able to lie anymore. The the guy that was in that movie, I can't stand. I've never seen the movie, and it disgusts me to think about it, but I remember the premise of the movie. You know, the idea is when we get saved, it's not that I cannot sin, but with a new nature, I cannot habitually sin for long. For long. Uh, Why? Because God will deal with me as with a son. God will deal with me as his child. We we see that wonderful truth in verse 7, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we look at 1 John chapter 3, just across the page, if you look there with me, verses 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Skip over to chapter 5 of 1 John and verse number 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Here it speaks about the miracle of the new birth. We're born into God's family. We become his children. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us that the divine life cannot sin. That as a child of God, my new nature, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, all things have become new. But there's a problem. What's the problem? I'm still in this body of flesh. Number six, this thought tonight, we do stumble and fall. We do stumble and fall because although we now have a new nature, we cannot sin, we still possess, and I live in this body of flesh. I have a 19, no, I think it's a 19, 1999, maybe, I can't remember now. Yeah, I have a 1999 Ford F3, F250 Super Duty. It's got 400 and some thousand kilometers on it. It's got some rust. It's, uh, it's kind of old. Kind of like Pastor Rice. Uh, I've, I've a, it's aged better than me. But if I bought a brand new engine, if I bought a brand new 7.3 Power Stroke and replaced the 7.3 Power Stroke that's in there with 400 and some thousand miles on it, kilometers, and I put a brand new engine in that thing, I probably wouldn't be able to drive it more than two or 300,000 kilometers. Now, the engine will last longer. That engine will last a half a million kilometers. No question about it. But the body would start falling off. (laughs) I mean, eventually the springs would rust in half. The axles would snap in half. Why? They're getting old. They're getting old. They will deteriorate. You and I live in a body of flesh. 
And as we think about it, our nature cannot sin, our new nature, but we live in the old nature, which can't do anything else. It is a constant struggle uh, that we see. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, Notice, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. Now, if that's all we had in that verse, I would second-guess the doctrine of sin for a Christian. But the Bible doesn't stop there in that verse. It goes on and says, and if any man sin. In other words, it's going to happen. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, Scripture itself makes very evident and very plain here that believers can and do sin. So here's the question for you. What happens when you sin? What happens when I sin? We do. When that happens, when I sin, when you sin, what happens spiritually? What happens with me and God? Number seven. Provision has been made. Jesus Christ not only died as our sin bearer, and he did. When he died on the cross of Calvary, he bore your sins and my sins on himself. He became, he who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. He bore my sin. He did that. But he's not done. He now lives and is my advocate with the Father. As such, he pleads the merits of his finished work before the Father. If you will, if you'll imagine this, Jesus sitting in the right hand of God the Father as he looks over and says, No, I paid for that. When Ahmad sinned today at lunchtime, whatever it was, it was pretty bad, I'm sure. Jesus went and said, Yeah, I know, he's a mess, but I, I paid for that. I, I, already, I covered that. He's my advocate. He, he's my lawyer. By the way, probably the only, the only lawyer that isn't an evil dad. I mean, no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, one, of the only, one of the few good lawyers, amen? Uh, Jesus Christ, the advocate. He advocates for me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, I, we read a little bit of it. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. By the way, those that would try to get you to believe in a limited atonement, do me a favor and ask them about that verse because they can't explain it. It doesn't line up. The Bible says that he died for the sins of the whole world. We see that picture here. He's our advocate. When we sin, so what happens? Here's the answer. What happens when I sin? What happens when you sin? When I sin, my relationship with God is not affected. He's still my God. He's my father. I'm his child. That doesn't change. If Hannah does something wrong, something horrible, Something really, really, really bad, like, I don't know, becoming a vegan or something. You know, if she, no, she does something wrong. I'm just teasing. Nothing wrong with vegans. I think God loves them too. But uh, if, if Hannah does something really bad, you know, she does something, dishonors our family, disgraces our family, does something horrible, terrible. I don't know, like drinking decaf coffee, something like that. She does something really bad. She's still my daughter. No matter what happens, she's my daughter. Now, here's what we do. You know, when the kids do something wrong, parents, you, go, you say to your husband, hey, look what your daughter did. Your wife, you look at your husband, look what your son did. You don't want to take, but can I tell you, they're still yours. And when I say I'm still his, my relationship doesn't change. But... Although her relationship does not change being my daughter, 
her enjoyment of that relationship may change. And can I tell you, when you and I sin, our enjoyment of the fellowship with God is affected. That's why David prayed after his sin with Bathsheba, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He wanted that relationship, that enjoyment, that joy of that relationship back. You see, sin, when I sin as a believer, it causes me not to be able to enjoy the relationship, that fellowship. Moreover, the devil accuses us before the throne of God. Today, when Brother Ahmad sinned at lunchtime, horrible sin, the devil leaned over and said, hey, you see what he did? One of yours, huh? You really messed up there. I think you may have failed with that one. He accuses us. And then our advocate steps in. But our enjoyment of that fellowship. Remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong? And your mom said, I remember it. Just wait till your dad gets home. Does the body that ever happened for you? Mom said, wait till dad gets home. You probably began to pray, didn't you? Oh, God of Elijah and Elisha, God of Abraham and Isaac, oh, great God that part of the Red Sea, God of Moses and Abraham and all those other ones, God, please don't let Dad come home. Why? Because you knew it wasn't going to be good. Because you knew Mom was right when she said, you just wait till Dad gets home. And if you're like me, you'll I'm I don't feel good tonight. I think I, I think I need to go to bed. I wanted to go to bed. I didn't want to have that discussion with my backside, with my dad. I, I didn't want to have that time of reckoning. I knew that our time wasn't going to be in an enjoyable time. And can I tell you, when our sin causes us not to enjoy the fellowship we have with God, it causes a lack of enjoyment there we have an advocate in the court of heaven who pleads our case before the throne of God in verse 2 in our text actually in, in chapter 2 excuse me verse 2 of chapter 2 it says and he is a propitiation for our sins praise God for his work on the cross of Calvary I want you to look at one passage with me we'll, and then we're going to get back to 1 John. Hold your place here, but turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We're going to look at verses 33 and 34. That's a wonderful passage. I encourage you maybe when you're discouraged to go back here and find it, read it. Romans 8, 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God and also maketh intercession for us. In other words, when the devil comes around and starts accusing you, starts getting you to question whether or not God loves you, Starts getting to question whether or not you're still God's child. Hey, go take it up with Jesus. Go talk to him about it. He cared for it already. It's already finished. But can I tell you that provision of Jesus Christ was made when we sin. Not if we sin. When. When we sin. And lastly in verse 8. All of these leading up to this thought. Not verse 8, but point 8 here tonight. We're going to look at verse 9 in a moment. Number 8, when, because of sin, our communion, not our relationship, not our standing, when our communion with God is temporarily broken. In other words, he's my father, but I may not be communing with him as I ought to be. I'm not enjoying the relationship like it could. 
I'm not fellowshipping like I could because of sin. Sin causes a barrier. When that communion is temporarily broken, God speaks here about the need to repent and make confession to God. Not, not a matter of getting saved again, but a matter of dealing with God's remedy for sin, dealing with sin in our life as believers. Understand, uh, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I believed the gospel. My sins were paid for. Let me help you with a doctrine here. I never have to ask God to forgive my sins again as a Christian, ever. I'm not upset with you if you do that, but in the Bible, there's never a time when I as a Christian have to pray and say, God, forgive my sins. It's done. It's, it's, it's settled. This is not a matter of me and old God. Don't, don't hit me, God. Forgive me, God. That's the wrong idea of this teaching. Rather, we see in verse 9, if we confess our sins. There's a big difference here. We make confession to God. Understand when I confess, that sin is dealt with. I am forgiven already because I'm a child of God. But I'm cleansed and communion is restored. I don't have to go and beg God to forgive me. Oh, God, don't kill me. Oh, God, please forgive me. Oh, God, I did something really so terrible. God, forgive me. No, it's a matter of, and I believe your Bible's right. And I've disobeyed you, and I've, I've done this, and I agree with you, it's sin. It's not a matter of, you know, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. It's a matter of, yes, I agree. I see myself as you see me. I see this sin as you see it. God sees our true state. God wants us to bring ourselves to him, to confess to make bare. You know, we talk about baptism. The Sunday we're baptizing uh, three, three folks this Sunday, and a few more weeks we're baptizing three more folks, and hopefully that three more every week for another 20 years. But we talk about baptism. I use the illustration of baptism being like an x ray. I've had several x rays. I've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 10, 12, 20. I've had a lot of x-rays. How many of you have never had an x-ray? Anybody ever not had an x-ray of any kind? Hannah, you've had x-ray in your teeth. You're lying. Quit lying over there. You've got to confess that sin before God tonight. I've had a lot of x-rays. A whole lot. I broke this arm twice. I broke my right big toe. I've broken two or three fingers. I've broken... Three or four ribs. I, I've done some damage to this body. I've tried to break a lot more, but amazingly, that's, I think it's all the bones I've broken. But when I broke this arm the very first time, I was wearing a Superman costume. It was a Halloween costume. Back in 1980, I had a plastic Superman costume. I had the plastic Superman mask, you know, from the 80s. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the blow molded. Anyway, I had that. I had the red cape. I had the whole deal. And I went out and I climbed up on top of a cinder block standing on end. And I envisioned that I was going to fly off like Superman. But the Bonnie, I flew right to the ground. Concrete block pivoted. I hit the ground. My arm buckled. It must have been made of kryptonite because I was in a lot of pain. And they took me to the hospital. My mom and dad, I was five years old. Matter of fact, it was really close within a, I guess that would have been within about a two-month window of the same time that I got saved. And I went to the hospital, and we had to wait a long time in the hospital. And after a while... My mom, I don't remember this. My mom and dad said after about 30 minutes, I was fine. I was playing. I was swinging around on the chairs and, you know, I wanted to go home. Nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. 
But dad said, no, let's, let's go ahead and get it x-rayed. So we waited. They laid my little arm on the x-ray machine. They took pictures, came back. They brought my mom and dad in and, sh and showed them both bones and my arm were broken. You know what happened? The x-ray machine broke my arm. No. It revealed that my arm was broken. It revealed it. It, it showed it. Now, baptism is a picture of us showing what God did when we got saved, revealing that to the world. But I love this. When I go to him and I confess that sin, in a very real way, God says, I already know. <laughs> I'm looking at the x-ray right now. But the best news is it's, it's cared for. That's the remedy. The remedy is God. The remedy is going to him. How wonderful the promise there of going to him, number one, in salvation and receiving forgiveness eternal, receiving new life, becoming a new creature, and then the blessing of as I sin, having the advocate with the Father, having the ability to confess, and having that relationship restored. As David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. A lot of us don't want to talk with God. We don't want to pray. We don't want to let God talk to us in the Bible. You know why? Because we're afraid God's mad at us. We don't enjoy the relationship because we have unconfessed sin. We, we don't, we're uncomfortable about the relationship with God because we know there's aught between us and our Savior. Now, that does not keep us from heaven or keep us from our relationship, but it does keep you from enjoying it. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane before? How many of you have ever flown on an airplane with a screaming baby? You ever been on one of those? How many of you enjoyed that flight? I don't mind flying. Man, flying, I can, I can sit down. Now, I, the seats are too small for me, and I'm not real comfortable. But eventually, most of the time, I can get to sleep. I don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not nervous about flying. Man, just leave me alone. Let me sleep for an hour or two. Let me get off the airplane. I, I'm okay with that. I, I don't mind flying then. But you get all ready. Okay, I'm going to have a nap. As soon as the plane takes off. You want to you wanna take the baby and put him back somewhere. You know, hey, would you please get a parachute and leave the airplane so I can enjoy my flight? Now, I get it. I understand. I've traveled with babies. I, I know. Uh, but you don't enjoy the flight. It's kind of tough to enjoy the trip. God wants you to enjoy your trip. That screaming baby is sin in our life that's unconfessed. And the wonderful thing is God gives us an answer. He gives us a remedy. We can deal with it. So we can not only have heaven, I have that. Not only have, I have that. But so I can enjoy the trip. And I can enjoy the fellowship. And how wonderful that God planned that I who was darkness and he who was light, he who was perfect would have fellowship with me through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to enjoy our trip. Help us to enjoy our relationship with you. Lord, many times we fail to find enjoyment in you. Lord, most often it's because we have unconfessed sin. Maybe it's an attitude problem. Maybe it's some pet sin. Maybe it's our flesh that wants something you don't want us to have. Lord, whatever it is, help us to bring it to you to confess it. Help us to agree with you. Lord, help us to be able to enjoy that sweet communion you want to have with us on our way to heaven. 
Lord, I thank you that my sin was dealt with eternally on the cross. Lord, the penalty of sin is done. I will never face punishment or penalty, judgment for sin. But Lord, the presence of sin in my life sure does affect the enjoyment of the journey. Lord, I thank you that you are my advocate. I thank you that you've given us a way to deal with that broken fellowship. God, help us to do so. Lord, bless us tonight. Lord, be with us as we continue. Lord, in the weeks to come throughout the book of 1 John, 2nd and 3rd. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we seek to learn more of you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.